Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to be taking a look at the third section of what Isaiah was, was claiming about the coming Messiah. Now, if you've joined us, we're doing a four-part series from Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah has given a designation, titles to the Lord Jesus. He's called him Wonderful Counselor, which speaks about God's plan. He's called this coming Messiah Mighty God, which reveals God's power. Eternal Father, which we'll take a look at today, this reveals God's relationship to us as a loving parent. And then finally, Prince of Peace, we'll take a look at this next week for our Christmas message. He brings reconciling peace to us. Now, wonderful counselor, we, we saw that he's talking about Jesus as the one full of wisdom. We saw God show his splendor through his Son, and we saw the plan of God fulfilled through Jesus Christ. As mighty God, we saw that Jesus reveals the power of God to fulfill what he has claimed that he would do, that he came to save, and he gives victory to his people because he had victory on the cross. And this morning, we'll take a look at Jesus as eternal Father. Let's read both texts. We're going to start in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David over over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7 says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquities, transgression and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren, to the third and fourth generations. So what does eternal Father reveal about Jesus? Well, first thing we'll see this morning is Jesus is revealed as compassionate and gracious, full of compassion, full of grace. Jesus is God the Son. And the same attributes that we see in the Father that are expressed there in Exodus 34 are the same attributes that we will see in Jesus Christ as well. Now, many people struggle with Isaiah looking forward, seeing the Messiah, and using this designation of Jesus as everlasting Father. We need to understand that He was distinguished in the Trinity. He is God the Son. He is distinguished from God the Father and the Holy Spirit. But there are three things that we have to understand and consider this morning. First, Jesus as the Messiah is the second person of the Trinity. He is, in His very essence, God. He has always been God. He will always be God. Second, the title Everlasting Father is not a statement about His relationship to the members within the Trinity. It is a statement by His relationship of time. He is everlasting. Jesus has always been. Jesus will always be. This is why in Isaiah 9, 7, He says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Jesus one day will rule in a new heaven and a new earth. And the third thing, Jesus, he's known as eternal father. He's talking about Jesus. 
He's going to have a fatherly type of rule. His relationship with his people, his care and concern with us, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Now, the best biblical text for us to understand the very character and nature of God is actually found in Exodus 34. And also, kind of a joining text with that will be Psalm 103, which is written by David. Now, I'm not going to be reading directly the whole psalm, but I'm going to kind of refer back to it because it kind of fills out Psalm 34, verse 6. In Exodus 34, verse 6, Moses says what God is like, who He is. Let's read it again. It says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And then in one, then Psalm 103, verse 7 and 8, David now writing says, And he made known to the ways of Moses his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. So David is quoting from Exodus 34, and he's explaining what God is like. And we understand that Jesus is God in the flesh, and so we can also know what Jesus is like. Jesus is compassionate and loving. Now, the background to Exodus 34 is where Moses had just been up on the mountain and God had given him two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. In Exodus 32, God called Moses to Mount Sinai. He goes up there, he gets the two stone tablets, and while he's on the mountain, down below, the people are getting restless. And they have Moses' brother Aaron make an idol. We all know the story. It's a golden calf. And the people began to worship the golden calf. Moses comes down off the mountain. He sees the people worshiping the idol, and he smashes the Ten Commandments. God judges them, doesn't he? Some of them died. Now, there are estimates there was over 2 million people there, but it's estimated that some 30,000 people died. God actually showed them compassion. He should have annihilated the people. He literally told Moses that he would create for Moses a whole new people, but instead, God relented. He, he showed them mercy. As a matter of fact, another word for compassion in the Bible is the word mercy. Compassion and mercy are synonymous. Now, the ESV version of Exodus 34, verse 6, he says merciful. I want to read that for you. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Mercy means that you do not get what you deserve. The people of Israel deserved annihilation. They had sinned greatly before God, yet He extended them mercy. They did not get what they deserved. And the same thing could be said of you and I. Is it true? It's very true. Gracious means grace. It's the opposite of mercy. It is God's gift to us. It's unmerited favor. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. And so now in Exodus 34, Moses goes back on the mount and God gives him two more tablets of the Ten Commandments. And God explains to Moses on Mount Sinai who he is. This is God's character, and we see this very character of compassion and mercy. We see it right there throughout the Old Testament. Compassionate is a feeling word. God is like a father to his people. 
Gracious is an action word. I mean, God is like a parent who goes to rescue his people. And guys, we've seen this throughout the Old Testament. You see it in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. God comes to Adam and Eve and he, he creates Adam and he, and he tells him that he can eat from any tree in the garden, that both he and, and Eve can eat of any tree except the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, we know the story. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They sinned before God. God had every right to annihilate them, but he didn't. Instead, he extended their life for 900 years. They had a full life. They had children. We see this compassion, this mercy with Jonah and and the Assyrians. The Assyrian nation was a brutal and wicked nation, and they plagued the Israelites. And God calls Jonah a prophet, and he calls him to go reach out to the Assyrian nation in Nineveh. Jonah doesn't like that. Jonah hates the Assyrians. We know the story. He leaves. He gets on a boat. God causes a storm. Finally, Jonah gets thrown in the water. He wants to die. God doesn't let him die. God sends a big fish, swallows him up, takes him all the way to the shores near Nineveh, spits him out. Jonah realizes, wow, he's boss. He goes and does what God wants. He preaches repentance, and the whole nation repents. God extends to the nation of of Assyria mercy. He showed them grace. He sent a prophet, grace. He comes first. Then he shows them mercy. They didn't get what they deserved. We see this with the people of Israel again and again and again. Man, they were such whiners. They com- Are you a whiner this morning? They complained, they complained, they complained. We don't have enough water. We don't have enough food. We don't like that stinking manna. There are giants in the land. What does God do? Compassion, mercy, grace again and again and again. You see this throughout the Old Testament. And this reveals the very heart of God, who He is, His pleading with us to receive His mercy and grace. I think the clearest text is found in Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel, speaking for God, is pleading with the people. And in Ezekiel 33:11, listen to the heart of God here. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his ways and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? God wanted to extend his grace and mercy. And because of Jesus Christ, we have mercy. And God has revealed his compassion and grace in his character traits as well. We see this with Jesus from the very beginning. Matter of fact, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look at me. Now, in John 14, 9, Jesus says, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so when Isaiah calls Jesus eternal Father, and then he declares in Exodus 34 that he is compassionate and gracious, we see what Jesus is like. Isaiah refers to him as as eternal father. These traits that are found in the father are also found in the son. And we see these same traits throughout Jesus' whole ministry. When Jesus began, he begins his ministry in in Matthew chapter 9, verse 6. He he looks out on, on the people of Israel and it says he's like a shepherd. And they are like sheep who are lost without a shepherd, and he has compassion on them, it says. 
We know that he was approached by a leper in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And the leper comes to him and falls on his knees. And verse 41 says he was moved with compassion. That's mercy. And he says, heal me. And he heals the man. We see this also in Luke chapter 7. He goes into the city called Nain. And there's this long procession. It's a, it's a funeral procession. And there's a widow there and her son had died. And it says that Jesus saw her, has compassion, and he heals her son. He, he resurrects her son from the dead and hands her, him back to her, his mom. See this again in Luke chapter 18. He's walking along with his disciples and there's a blind man. His name is Bartimaeus. And he cries out for mercy. And guess what? Jesus extends to him mercy and he gives him back his sight again and again and again. This is who Jesus is. And you and I also can can experience the compassion, the mercy and grace of God. But we can only experience it through Jesus Christ. And because he is a compassionate, merciful, loving, gracious God, that means he offers us forgiveness. But can I tell you something? Because I talk to a lot of people about this. Most people don't accept His mercy and grace. Matter of fact, there says there are three basic ways that people try to discover God or how to find forgiveness or, or however you want to put it, go to heaven. When I'm on the street, I can tell you the first way is this. It's what I do. God is obligated. It's by my efforts. It's called religion. And all religions are basically the same. We have to do certain things to earn God's favor, to appease God, to gain nirvana, whatever it is. It's what you do. And somehow God is obligated by your efforts to give you mercy and grace. But it doesn't work that way. The main thing that can keep you away from God's mercy is if you think you deserve it. That is called pride. And the Bible says God is opposed to pride, but He gives grace and mercy to the humble there's a second way. Some people approach God because they, want to, they think, well, God needs to be fair, and, and God, it's been really hard for me. You don't know how hard my life is, and it's just not fair. They play the victim card, and they hope God will accept that they've had a really tough life. But can I tell you, He doesn't extend mercy and grace based on what you do or even your circumstances. He only bases it through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the very essence of mercy and grace. He is God's grace gift to us. He comes to us freely, and it is open to all who will receive Him. And if you receive Jesus Christ, you do not get what you deserve. Instead, you get mercy. He forgives you fully, top to bottom. can only approach God through His Son. The gap between us and God is too great, and there is nothing you can do to earn His favor. That's why He gives Himself for us. Now, my good friend, Pastor Farooz, he he likes to take me to this Persian restaurant every couple months, but one thing when we go to that restaurant, He will never allow me to pay for it. Fact is, the first time we went there, I kept saying, you know, I don't, it's so hard for us not to try to pay for something, isn't it? I said, dude, just let me pay for half. He's like, no, no, no. Let me pay for, let me pay the tip. No. And then he looked at me, and I'll never forget what he said. Let me just, I wrote it down, so I want to give you exactly what he said. He says, don't dishonor my gift, brother. You are my friend, and I have joy in giving this to you. That is such a picture of God towards us. 
You dishonor him when you think that you can earn his favor. It is a gift through Christ, and he lavishes it on us. It is given freely. Why? Because it shows his mercy, his grace to us. That's the first thing we see. Jesus, he is compassionate and gracious. Second thing, Jesus is revealed as slow to anger. Slow to anger. I am so grateful for this one. He is so patient, so much more patient than I am. And aren't you glad that he's patient with us? Now, Isaiah 9, 6 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 again says, Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity and transgressions and sin. And yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And when you look at Scripture and, and you see where it talks about people with uncontrolled anger, let's say a hot temper, it's never viewed as a good thing. Has anyone ever told you that you have an anger problem or that you're quick-tempered or that you have a short fuse? Well, the Bible says that's sin. And so, but praise God, that's not God. God is slow to anger. Now, I'm not talking about the anger, what I call righteous anger. The Bible says that righteous anger is actually a good thing. As a matter of fact, when the Bible speaks about God, it says that he is angry over our sin. Psalm 711 says that God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 55 says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. And Romans 118 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Well, Pastor Rob, you just told us that, that God is compassionate, that He's full of mercy and grace. Well, what's the deal with wrath? It is because God is holy. Because He is holy, holy, holy. And because He is holy, He is angry with evil and sin every day. He cannot give our sin a pass. He cannot do it. He is a God of justice. And he must see his justice satisfied. And this is what many people would call bad news. And this is why in Exodus 34, verse 7, it says this, Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now, Exodus 34, 7 is not saying that you have to atone for your grandfather and your father's sin, but what it is saying is that sin impacts every generation. And some sins carry over, don't they? I can tell you, coming from a, a child of divorce, I have watched it wreck my brothers and sisters' lives. My parents were divorced, and every one of our siblings, my siblings, have been divorced. And I've just seen their kids and all this stuff, and now they're repeating that as well. Karen and I are the only two in my family. Our marriage is the only one that has been sustained. What is that? That's Jesus and His grace. Sin can carry on from generation to generation. But the Bible is clear. God hates injustice. And you think, well, some people would say, I cannot believe 
and a God of wrath. But be glad that God is a God of justice. Every time you read about a, about a child who is raped or, or sold into prostitution, every time you read about murder and, 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 and destruction and, and all kinds of, of filth and all these things, it is a God of justice that we turn to and be glad for a God of justice. Because he will not give sin a pass. And one day, all sin will be accounted for. He says, by no means will he leave the guilty unpunished. But this is why I'm so glad that God is God is who he is. Because the Bible says right here that he is slow to anger. And that's good news. That is such good news to me. And it should be really good news to you as well. As a matter of fact, Psalm 103 verse 10 says, God has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. You understand that David wrote that. David wrote that saying, I am so glad God has not judged me according to my iniquities. He had sinned against God. He had, had, uh, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. When he did that, he should have been stoned to death. He killed her husband Uriah. He should have died for that. But God waited Why? Because he's slow to anger. He wanted to give him time to repent. He even sent his own prophet Nathan to reach out to him. What is that? That is God being willing to be patient with us. Praise God that he's slow to anger. And you see the same thing throughout the Old Testament. Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. He was slow to anger. He gave him another 900 years. You see this also in Noah's day. It says in Noah's day that the people, that literally God was filled up to hear with their sin. But what does he do? Instead, he's slow to anger. He sends a prophet by the name of Noah. Noah was a a preacher, by the way, it tells us in Hebrews. And then he gives kind of a a classroom example. He has Noah build for 100, and I think it's 120 years, an ark. It's speaking of God's coming judgment. And the whole time Noah's working on that, he's preaching to the people, repent, repent, repent. And they won't repent. And finally, he does bring judgment, but he was slow with it. We see this again with the Israelites. Again and again, they complain. Again and again, they they sin against God. Again and again, they worshiped idols, but he was slow to anger, so much so that he sends his own Messiah, his son. And Jesus comes, and he preaches, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's slow to anger. And an example of this slowness is Jesus was killed, most scholars feel, around 33 A.D. He did not destroy Jerusalem until 70 A.D. Why is that? To give the apostles and the Christians time to preach to the Jewish people that they would repent. He is slow to anger. And he is slow to anger with you and I as well. And be happy, glad for his patience and kindness with us. I waited for 30 years. I rejected him year after year after year. When I look back at all the times God tried to reach out to me by his mercy and grace, I am so glad that he is slow to anger. I am so grateful because my mother's 90 when she received Christ. He is slow to anger. He is patient with us. And you see this in Jesus as well. You see this in the very beginning of his ministry. He has these religious leaders that hounded him constantly on his tracks, trying to flip, turn him over, trying to use all these tactics against him, and yet he continues to preach to them and reach out to them so that some might believe and some did. Nicodemus is an example of that. You see this with his own two disciples, James and John. 
They want to call down fire from heaven. They want to destroy a Samaritan village. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says in Luke 9, 56, he says, The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, and then they moved on. He's slow to anger. You see this with Judas Iscariot. With Judas Iscariot, Jesus knew, John 6 says, from the beginning who would betray him. And yet, for the full time of his ministry, he had Judas with him. And he reached out to him. He gave him opportunity after opportunity, but Judas would not listen, and he betrayed the Son of Glory. You see this with all his disciples. The disciples were a mess. Most of the time, they could not figure out what Jesus was about. He would share with them the truth. They didn't get it time and time again. Even on the night that he was betrayed, what does he do? He washes their feet. I do this as an example for you, that that you will be servants to all. What do they do? Literally, within minutes, they begin to bicker on who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. But what does he do? He's slow to anger. He's patient with us. Now, in that, there was always a warning. To the religious leaders, he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and he gives them eight warnings, right? And also we see in in a physical form when he went into the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers, this is a a physical sign that he will not tolerate us blaspheming worship, swearing, bringing down the name of God. Be careful, Christian. Your life is a testimony of Christ. None of us are perfect. Praise God, he is slowed to anger. Praise God, he is patient with us. And I read about it in a book entitled Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, this idea of God's patience is his slow to anger character. The writer is, is a person by the name of Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, and she shares about God's patient grace. At the age of 36, Rosaria Champagne Butterfield was a tenured professor at the Center for, Women of, uh, for Women's Studies at Syracuse University. Rosaria was an atheist, and she and her lesbian partner were members of a Unitarian Universalist church, and she was in charge of the welcoming committee of the Gay and Lesbian Advocacy Group. Up to this point in Rosaria's life, the only Christians she knew she called were intellectually impaired. She says they were stupid. Why? Because they would always send notes to her, basically saying to her, she called it hate mail. But her negative image of Christians radically changed when she met a local pastor by the name of Ken and his wife, Floyd. Eventually, that friendship led to her conversion in Christ. And she shares in, in her book the this, this story about the, the first dinner meeting that they had. She said, I remember being conscious of, of my butch haircut and awkwardly being greeted by hosts at the door of their house and pulling out of my bag two gifts, a bottle of good red wine and a box of strong tea. My lesbian identity and culture mattered a lot to me, but I liked Ken and Floyd and immediately um, because they seemed sensitive to me and sensitive to what I believed. During our meal, I remember holding my breath and I was waiting for the punch in the stomach with something grossly offensive. I believed at this time that God was dead and if he had ever been alive, the fact of poverty and violence and racism and sexism and homophobia and war was proof to me that he hated his creation. But Ken and Floyd's God seemed alive, three-dimensional and wise, but he was also firm. And Ken and Floyd were anything but intellectually impaired. And Ken and Floyd did something at that meal that has long since been a Christian tradition in Christian history. They invited a stranger in. They did not condemn her. 
but they listened and learned from her, and they had dialogue. They didn't debate the worldview. They didn't try to share the gospel with her right away. They knew she couldn't handle that. They didn't invite her to church. They waited. They were patient. They were kind with her. She said, since the beginning of the journey which the Lord has taken me, it has been a great adventure. And this simple meal in the pastor's home was the first leg of that long journey. And when he extended his hand in friendship, I knew I was safe to be friends with him. And before I ever stepped the foot in a church, I spent two years meeting with Ken and Floyd, and on and off we studied Scripture, and I studied my own heart. God was patient with me, and Ken knew at the time that I couldn't come to church. It, it'd be too threatening. It'd be too weird. So Ken and Floyd, they were patient and long-suffering with me. They were just like Jesus with me, she said. They were willing to bring me kindness not judgment and anger. She said, they brought church to me. Rosaria came to Christ in 1999. She's now married with a family, children. Her husband's a pastor, and they serve together in North Carolina. Now, the thing that we see here is God was patient with her. He he was long-suffering. And you and I, if we're honest, we say, man, God has been so long-suffering and patient with me. He's slow to anger. And can I tell you, He's calling us to be the same as His people. Amen? Two things we've seen. Jesus is revealed as being compassionate and gracious. Jesus is revealed as being slow to anger. Here's the last one. Jesus is revealed as being loving and faithful. Loving and faithful. Jesus is the best representation of God's love and of His faithfulness. I'm going to skip reading the verses. We've read them a couple times now. It's both Isaiah 9, 6 and Exodus 34, 6 and 7. We'll deal with it in the text as we move forward. But God is a God of love and He's a God of faithfulness. Now, the NASB, it translates this loving kindness and truth. But the ESV translates it. I'm going to read it for you. I don't know if it's on the screen, but this is what it says. It says, The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed in Exodus 34, 6, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I've been reading a book this past week, and in it, it talked about the Hebrew language, and love and faithfulness are two Hebrew words, hesed and amet. Hesed, this is a Hebrew word that's not really an equivalent in the English language. It's translated abounding in steadfast love. It could be translated unfailing love, but it can also be translated covenant loyalty. Hebrew scholars say that this covenantal term is one of the most important aspects of God's character. God is a God who makes covenants with His people. And also, by the way, God speaks twice about His love in Exodus 34, both in verse 6 and also in verse 7. This is because God is expressing this very nature of who He is. It's like saying God is overwhelmingly in love with you, passionate for His people. Do you believe it? And the only way I can kind of relate to in my own way, how much do you love your children? And as grandparents, I'm getting to experience this all over again. I am crazy for my grandkids. Little Levi, little Dalty, little Oe, man. I just love those little guys. It's the same way with God with you. Unbelievable love. And this Hebrew word, amit, it, it means faithfulness. Now, it can be translated truth, but it, it's talking about covenant loyalty, the faithfulness of God. 
2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And this idea of covenant, if we think about a covenant in in our context, the, the one that I think of is marriage. God has designed marriage between a man and a woman. Let me repeat that, between a man and a woman. And he did that because that's his design. And it's a promise between two people to be loyal and faithful together for life. It's a covenant between God and you. And when the Bible speaks about God, it speaks about His covenant loyalty. God went to Abraham in in Genesis chapter 12, and and He made a promise, a covenant with Abraham. And by the way, God said that He would fulfill the covenant. He had Abraham kill some animals, cut them in half, and then He walked through them, showing that it was on Him, not based on what Abraham did, but what God did. And He made a promise that He would bless him, make him a great nation, that He would bless His people. Now, was it an easy life for Abraham? No. Abraham still had many problems. Abraham failed again and again, by the way. He slept with his handmaid, Hagar, and so on and so on. But God was faithful. God made another promise to Moses, another covenant, the Mosaic covenant. And God gave Moses the law. And God, in this covenant, said that he would be their God and they would be his people. But this one was a little different than the Abrahamic covenant because God says, you must keep the law. It was based on their actions. And we know they failed and failed. And so what does God do? Extends mercy and he makes a new covenant. A new covenant in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus did what Abraham and Israel were supposed to do but could not. Jesus came to bless the world. And through him, he offers us this new covenant in his blood. Isaiah 9 says, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And he first came to the Jews and he was offered to the Jewish people. But John 1.11 says that they rejected him. It says that he came to his own, but his own did not receive. And only a small portion of the Jewish nation received Christ. But then turn the page, look at John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. I pray that you this morning. This is the covenant that is offered. This is the the, the view of his loving kindness towards us and his faithfulness towards us. It is in his son. There is no other name under heaven by which men and women can be saved. If you want to have a true Merry Christmas, then it must be in Jesus Christ. Because as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gives the right to be called a child of God. You're adopted in, part of his kingdom, part of his family. And he is a God of covenant. He will never break it. He is faithful to the end, even when we are not. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of the scriptures. And we thank you for the grace that you've shown us in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for how good you are towards us. We thank you that you've given us your son. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son has been given. 
And in Jesus, Lord, we, we see that compassion and grace. In Jesus, we see that He is slow to anger. In Jesus, we see His loving kindness and faithfulness. And we thank You, Lord, for how good You are. And it is offered to all. In Jesus' name, amen.